Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. The impact of recent brain fall on our drought. Three weeks or so just is not able to counteract the dryness that's taken place over three or four years. I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. A look at U.S. support of the war in Ukraine. We are helping Ukraine defend itself against the naked aggression from Russia. We talk about things you can do this weekend on the art scene in your weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. While the recent rain wreaked havoc across the state, there is one small silver lining. California's drought conditions are improving. Joining me now is Daniel Kayan, a researcher of climate atmospheric science and physical oceanography at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography at UC San Diego. Daniel, welcome. Thanks. Good to be here. You know, thanks to this recent weather, there's been a lot of discussion over whether or not the state is still experiencing a drought. What are your thoughts on that? The short answer is yes, we are. The drought that we've been afflicted with has built up over some years of deficits. And while the heavy precipitation in the state has certainly made a dent, and in some areas probably strongly reversed the dry situation, there's a set of the longer-term reservoir storage facilities in the state, such as Shasta, Trinity, in the far northern part of the state that still have not refilled to what we would call normal for this time of the year. And the groundwater situation, for example, in the state has has really taken a hit during these dry years as many of the water interests have had to resort to groundwater withdrawal and aquifers have been somewhat depleted at least. So this siege of weather that we've seen is certainly beneficial in a water supply sense, but three weeks or so just is not able to counteract the dryness that's taken place over three or four years. I mean, you know, as of today, most of the state is no longer experiencing extreme drought. So then what exactly does that mean? 
Well, it means that situation has improved and water stocks are better than they were <laughs> six months ago. But it is still the case that we're in certain areas not going to make up for the deficit that's been built again over this longer period after the rain season in California has run its course. So we're we're about halfway into the traditional wet season here in the state. I guess I would remind that we're still in the middle of a, a La Nina condition in the tropical Pacific, which generally is not favorable for heavy precipitation in the southern part of the state. So that may work against us as far as the the amount of uh, rainfall that we we receive uh, from the end of January forward. We'll we'll see how that works out. I mean, is there a limit to which heavy rainfall can actually help mitigate the drought? I mean, can too much rain be a bad thing? Well, too much rain is is a very bad thing in some respects and you know the flooded communities that we're already seeing and so forth uh from a water supply perspective the reservoirs in the state have been pretty low and generally heavy rains are are beneficial there's there's some reservoirs of course where if you exceed a certain level you have to let water out of the reservoir for fear of the next the next storm and a you know a uh, bad flood there's always that challenge that water resource people have to worry about but in california we're kind of a boom and bust state as far as our water and we have to take advantage of these heavy precipitation episodes to generate our water supply can you put the current dry period into context i mean what would it actually take to bring the state out of drought just full stop Two or three years of normal to above normal uh, precipitation is is probably um, needed to restore a lot of what we've lost. The other thing I think that that needs to be mentioned is that a very warm climate during the last several years has kind of added to the impacts of the lack of precipitation. So not only have we not received as much precipitation as normal? On top of that, the atmosphere has gotten what you might say is more thirsty for uh, water from the land surface and stockpiles of water. So we're losing more to evaporation and to the landscape and receiving less uh, usable water in the state. That's probably not going to reverse because we think that that's a symptom of of uh, ongoing climate change. And very likely that's that's actually going to uh, intensify. So we're kind of in the West uh, here, we're, we're sort of fighting this battle with a warming climate that sort of adds to the penalty of on again, off again dryness. Do you think there's any concern that these recent weather patterns might cause people to think that the drought is no longer an, an ongoing concern and uh, they may start to do away with drought prevention measures? Well, sure, but the state is very cognizant of the situation and they're quite climate wise, I would say. I think most water districts are 
are probably also. So in, indeed, uh, we, we still have to be uh, frugal. <laughs> but in any case, I, th- I think California society has, has been battered by dryness now since the uh, early 2000s. And I think we're, we're getting uh, more experienced and better able to uh, conserve. I've been speaking with Daniel Kayan, a researcher at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography at UC San Diego. Daniel, thank you for joining us. Okay, Jade. Thank you. The United States has been deeply involved in the war in Ukraine, even though there's been no significant deployment of U.S. troops to Eastern Europe. Almost daily, weapons, equipment, and other supplies depart from the U.S. to support the Ukrainian military and civilian authorities. Eric Schmidt reports for the American Homefront Project. The war in Ukraine is quite different from most of the other conflicts the United States has been involved in in the recent past. Connor Savoy of the Center for Strategic and International Studies says that's because there hasn't been any overt U.S. military action within the country. You know, the biggest difference is that Ukraine has demonstrated its willingness and capability to defend itself if given the weapons and support and equipment it needs. It's a point Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky emphasized in his address to Congress late last year. Ukraine never asked the American soldiers to fight on our land instead of us. I assure you that Ukrainian soldiers can perfectly operate American tanks and planes themselves. The U.S. pledged to send Patriot missile systems to help with Ukraine's air defense just before Zelensky's remarks. And a few days after, Congress passed its massive spending bill, which includes another $45 billion in military, economic, and humanitarian aid for Ukraine. These deliveries are part of how the U.S. military remains closely tied to the conflict. In a September video from Delaware's Dover Air Base, a half dozen airmen push a large stack of weapons onto a C-17 cargo plane. They secure the goods with metal chains before loading the next pallet onto the aircraft bound for Ukraine. These kinds of shipments happen nearly every day. We are helping Ukraine defend itself against the naked aggression from Russia. General Jackie Van Ovost leads the U.S. Transportation Command, which handles the military's logistical movements, including deliveries to Eastern Europe. Let's say the air defense systems, the artillery systems, know that it came from the United States, mainly from the United States, and and about 25 other countries have helped. She says her command identifies where these items are and determines how they'll get to Ukraine. Vanovost says she's coordinated cargo shipments from around the world, though a lot of it is sent from air and seaports on the East Coast. Savoy says the U.S. is in a unique position to provide this support because of the military's prowess with logistics. While other countries can replicate it, it's always at a much smaller scale. Countries have maybe three or four large transport aircraft versus the couple hundred large transport aircraft that the United States has. Vanovost says her command delivers munitions and other essential military equipment around the clock. She says they also have consistent contact with Ukrainian leaders to ensure they're sending the most critical humanitarian aid, too. Like right now, because of the winter, they pushed up the tents, the heaters, the, you know, the propane, and, and they've moved down some other things. 
doesn't mean they don't need it. They need it all because they're they continue to get bombed. Vanovos says other non-military necessities include generators and transformers for the country's battered power grid. Even with the U.S. military's ability to deliver goods at any time, Savoy says it will still be difficult to send some of these items. We can't just go to like a warehouse run by Siemens or GE or some other large Western industrial conglomerate and just start pulling transformers and other grid components off the shelf. Savoy says they can take several months to produce. He says Ukrainians have been remarkably resilient, but without power for water and heat, millions more may leave their homes this winter in search for better conditions elsewhere in Europe. I'm Eric Schmid. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the Bob Woodruff Foundation. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. In our weekend preview, we have a special visual art and classical music collaboration, a blues musical, and clothes made out of sauce packets. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, welcome. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. So what kind of sauce packets are we talking about? Tell us about this very unique exhibit. Yeah, this is Ethan Chan. Um, He's an installation and performance artist. He tends to use kind of outside the box materials. This is a new solo exhibition at the Oceanside Museum of Art. And for these pieces, he's collected a bunch, like hundreds, I don't know, probably thousands of those free little sauce packets that you find at fast food restaurants, at gas stations and cafeterias. There's a huge range like ketchup, mayo, hot sauce, soy sauce, horseradish, and some that I've never seen before. And Chan has fashioned them into these full outfits with shoes, sometimes with hats. And these are for his friends to wear. The outfits will be on view. They're hanging on the walls of the museum, but as a sort of performance art element, Chan also had his friends wear the sauce packet clothes while hanging out at home, going about their daily tasks. And these were photographed, and those photographs will be on view also. This opens on Saturday, and it's on view through the end of April. So your chances to see it this weekend are Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 5 p.m. So now is there sauce in the packets? I believe so. These are like three-dimensional. They look very squishy. So I would not sit down while wearing them. (laughs) Well, at least you've got yourself a saucy outfit. Uh, Amazing what you can turn into art for sure. 
So let's stay in the North County for one more. At the Institute of Contemporary Art San Diego's North Campus, there's a special event with their visual artist in residence and one of San Diego's own composers. What can you tell us? Yeah, this is a collaboration between the museum and Art of Ilan, which is a musical ensemble. And it's anchored to the work of Toronto-based visual artist Shelley Zhang. That's the current exhibition and residency there at ICA. For this event, it's tonight. Zhang will discuss her work with UC San Diego Distinguished Professor of Music and composer Lei Liang. And they will talk about some of the points of intersection in their works. Themes like home, migration, the diaspora. And then Art of Elan will do a performance that spotlights some of Liang's work. This one is Liang's Gobi Canticle. It's for violin and cello, and it's based on Mongolian folk songs. And Zhang's exhibit itself is also totally worth a look before it closes on February 12th. This event is free, but you'll need to RSVP online. It's tonight from 5.30 to 8.30. The artist talk begins at 6.15 and the performance is at 7.15. All right. And it's a big weekend at Bread and Salt, too, with a few events and openings. What's going on? Yeah, this is for the monthly Barrio Art Crawl, and Bread and Salt always stays open late on that Saturday until about 8 o'clock. Hyun Kim is opening new video and performance works at Best Practice. That all starts at 5 on Saturday. At 5.30, artist Sybil Rubottom will do a walkthrough of her exhibit at the Athenaeum Art Center, also at Bread and Salt. She is about to retire from running the print studio there. So they're celebrating with this six decade survey of her work. And I love how even though it pulls from so many different formats and eras of her work, it still feels really unified. Her work's kind of fairy tale like kind of mythic feeling and childlike. I talked to her and she says it's kind of her approach to art making. I, I want to make nice things and um... That doesn't mean I don't care desperately about it. It's why I do want to do it, because it's so, life is hard. <laughs> the walkthrough is at 5.30, and then the exhibition will only be on view until the 28th. Also closing on the 28th is Marisol Rendon's exhibit in the main Bread and Salt Gallery. And later that night, Francisco Ame will perform a production of Treatise on Violence put together by Project Blank. This is a multimedia production. It has photography, sound installations, field recordings, and then a performance of his music with opera singing, even flute. And here's a little bit of his song, Los Desaparecidos. Uh, this is from the album that his multimedia production is based upon. The concert starts at 8 o'clock, and it costs $10. One more, a blues musical at North Coast Repertory Theater. What do you know about blues in the night? 
So this is a musical review. It's conceived by legendary director Sheldon Epps. And it's one of those no dialogue shows where all of the story kind of unravels with the songs. And this one is about three women who all kind of fall for the same man, who all have, have their hearts broken. And some of the blues hits in the show are Blues in the Night by Harold Arlen and Johnny Mercer, and Bessie Smith's Nobody Knows You When You're Down and Out. Once I lived a life of a millionaire Spending my money I didn't care I carried my friends out For a good time buying bootleg liquor Champagne and wine The show is currently in previews and it officially opens on Saturday and it will be on stage through February 5th. You can find details on these and more arts events or sign up for Julia's weekly arts newsletter at kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon Evans. Julia, thanks. Thank you, Jade. Have a good weekend. Nobody knows you when you down and out in my I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.